0: Hello, and welcome to the Hallelujah podcast. I'm your host, Grace, and I'm beyond excited to have you here today. At Hallelujah, my mission is to provide a space where you can grow in your faith, be encouraged, and gain an understanding of God's word. Today, we are absolutely blessed to have another guest on the podcast, Merle Temple, a a fascinating man of God with an incredible story, incredible testimony, and an incredible ministry as well. And it has been uh, quite the trial for us getting to this point. We've spent an hour working through different audio issues and video issues. So we're, we're very thankful to be here now and recording and, and really excited to, to welcome him on today and, and hear more about his story. So welcome to the Hallelujah Podcast, Mel. Well,
1: thanks. Uh, it's great to be here. We, we kept the we faith kept and we're finishing the race. <laughs>
0: Perfect. Well, I would absolutely love for you just to get a, a bit of an introduction into who you are, your testimony. It's incredible. And there's so much that we'll be able to come through and, and unpack today.
1: Okay. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I live in Tupelo, Mississippi, the uh, birthplace of Elvis Presley. And um, I was. Uh, our, our, our joke is, I was born in 1948 uh, in April. And just a few months later, uh, Vernon and Gladys packed up little Elvis, and moved to Memphis, they decided Tupelo just wasn't big enough to hold both of them. <laughs> That's our story, we're sticking yeah. to it. Uh, but I'm the, I'm the author of uh, six uh, Christian novels. They're written as fiction, but uh, drawn from my life. And um, uh, uh, the, uh, they, they really, the arc of the books, the whole stories of those six books, is really uh, one man's journey to God. Uh, there are so many things that have happened to me in my life. So many terrible things, so many good things. Things that I, I should have died many times. And But God had a plan. And uh, I ran from Him. But like the famous poem, Hound of Heaven, He kept pursuing me. and kept pursuing me. And uh, uh, so I came out of uh, the University of Mississippi. Uh, and... Uh, Thought I knew it all, thought the world was a nice and neat and orderly place. And I was this uh, quixotic, naive, romantic, and I was going to slay dragons, uh, right wrongs, and rescue damsels in, in distress. And uh, uh, then I found out the, the reality that it's not a nice and neat and orderly place. And, uh, and I wanted to save the world, and, uh, it, and finally I, I learned the hard way the world already had a savior and his name wasn't Merle. <laughs> Praise God for that. And so uh, uh, I, I, the books just follow my life from uh, Deputy to Blood on the Ground to A Ghostly Shade of Pale, A Rainy World, The Redeemed, and now the new book, Resurrection, Home Before Dark. And uh, so they just follow my life, the twists and turns, the ups and downs, and how uh, one day in the midst of it all, when... Uh, uh, my charm ran out and uh, the world tried to squash me. Uh, he used that megaphone of pain that C.S. Lewis wrote about to shout at me, can you hear me now? And I said, yes, Lord, I hear you now. I hear you now. And uh, he's done things I never would have believed. If you told me that long ago that I would be a, a an author and a Christian evangelist, I would have said, what is wrong with you? you know, and... Uh, but it's been uh, quite a journey, and uh, uh, it was down in the valley, you know, where I surrendered everything to Him, and everything changed after I crawled to the foot of the cross and, and said, uh, Master, I have earned this life. May I have another. And that's when grace and mercy just poured out on me from His wounded side, and like I said, everything changed, and things I once wouldn't have believed, I, I began to, he began to show me and uh, he began to open doors as only he could mm-hmm. and close some doors I was certain I wanted to go through. And so the books have been uh, well received. Um, a lot of uh, schools, high schools and colleges over here use them in English and sometimes history classes. And uh, English teachers love them because they're written as literature. And I resisted uh, the, what the industry wanted me to do was to layer them up with what they call neon. And neon is nothing but four-letter words. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, I'm writing books to honor God. And if my mother and my English teacher were still living, I wouldn't be ashamed for them to read my books. And uh, so by doing that and sticking to my guns, uh, English teachers found my books. And they saw that they could use them because I didn't give in to that. And the word spread uh, through through a lot of English teachers and... Uh, they started picking them up and making them a required reading and uh, and uh... we've been here there and everywhere and have been to hollywood hollywood called after they read one of my books and uh... the uh... popular show for thirteen years over here and really worldwide was criminal yeah. minds and uh... and, and they, called, they called and so we went to hollywood had a big hollywood adventure i will say this there's no shortage of people out there to witness to <laughs> And, uh, but we had a bigger adventure out in Hollywood and signed a contract and uh, met movie stars and did radio and TV out there and uh, uh, it was uh, it gave us a big boost and uh, so we're uh, we're continuing on and the books are uh, are being the resellers around the world are taking uh, copies of my books that, that are used and they're just churning them over and over and over and I see them all. the world and I went into a little room where these young guys, uh, late one night I realized that they were uh, bibliophiles, people who love books and uh, and uh, they said well go here and you can complete your Merle Temple collection and I'm like what? (laughs) And they were collecting my books and so these books will be, I've set them up to go on after I'm gone. They'll be like uh, uh, dead ministers still preaching. And all these resellers don't know it but they're spreading the gospel. I don't care about the royalties. This is what I want. I want to see books and keep it going and so they're um, they're serving the Lord but they don't know it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing and I yeah, I love like what you said just the way that you can get your your books out and the the gospel of Jesus how you can have that impact on on people like on people's lives too. And no doubt being in that Hollywood space, I imagine you would have some fascinating and scary stories about what goes on, but it's so important to have that light of, of Jesus in there. And I know in your bio as well, you talk a lot about being a, it was a, a, a narcotics agent in one of the, the first American drug wars as well. Can you tell me a bit about what, yes. what that looked like for you? How you well, I, I came right there. out of
1: uh, Ole Miss University of Mississippi and, uh, and the Bureau of Narcotics in Mississippi was just forming. It was the first drug wars in America. Yeah, it's when we. It's when people still thought that could be that war could be won, and uh, um, so I decided that must be the place for me, and I went there, young and naive, and uh, uh, went undercover. And uh, one one of the uh, uh, first, well, so many things happened to me undercover, but the one that people focus on is there weren't many of us then. I was working solo undercover, and. Uh, Uh, There was a drug deal set up with some dealers, and it kind of all went awry, and we wound up at midnight, uh, just me and the drug dealers, basically, in this little house uh, out near the end of nowhere, and and like it was a scene out of every bad B-horror movie. And uh, uh, when I walked in the little shack there, uh, they put a pistol to my head and a shotgun to my stomach, and uh, they had decided... Uh, they were just going to kill me because I knew I had money. They were just going to kill me and keep their drugs. And uh, so that began a long night of horror. And uh, the guy sitting across from me uh, uh, actually uh, chewed up and ate razor blades and began to bleed out from his mouth. And, uh, and then he swallowed a whole, bo- he a whole box of long-stem kitchen matches. He had this giant flame, and they threw his head back and swallowed the flame as the blood was running down each corner of his mouth and uh, uh, and uh, it was then my whole life flashed before my eyes because I believed I was going to die. I saw myself as a toddler uh, with my parents, things I couldn't consciously recall and uh, uh, I prayed. That's something I didn't ever do. I prayed that night but not for him to save me but I prayed to see another sunrise after all those sunrises I had set through I just wanted to see the sun come up again, and, uh, but he, uh, I won't ruin it for everybody. Obviously, I got out alive, and, uh, but it was, uh, just always God was there, and, uh, I was, uh, lured out near Memphis by two contract killers, uh, to assassinate me who worked for organized crime, and, uh, 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 it was just a standoff, and, uh, I kept wandering into these uh, tricky situations, and uh, they asked me at criminal minds, "What were you thinking?" You know, and I said, "Well, I was young. I thought I'd live forever," you know, and but uh, God was all, was always there with me. And then um, I'm hitting the high points here, but but uh, I was promoted uh, and promoted again, and uh, my men uh, and I were going to do a big heroin deal, and uh, they were flooding uh, the uh, university areas down south of us uh, with high-grade heroin to uh, addict people, create a heroin, an addict market, mm-hmm. and then they would come in and lower the purity and drive up their profits. That's how they did that. And so the agents had bought, bought, bought from the dealers, and I said, well, let's do a large buy bus for a large amount of drugs uh, and see if we can draw out anybody behind them because they won't, might not trust these people with that kind of... That much profit uh, uh, product, and so uh, we started, set it set up the deal, and I ran down from the office uh, to go meet them and set up the parameters of what we would do, uh, how we would surveil them, and come in and back them up and try to secure uh, the scene and keep them safe. And uh, I jumped in my car by the federal building, and when I cranked up the car and put my hand on a gear shift. Uh, I didn't know what it was because I was a very nominal Christian, raised in the church, had no idea about a personal relationship with Christ, uh, never thought about the Holy Spirit, and uh, but the Spirit filled up my car. It wrapped all around me and all through me, and uh, it was just, it was everywhere. And clearly, I heard, go back and get the bulletproof vest, and then it was gone. And I'm looking around like, what was that? (laughs) I'm losing my mind. And uh, because no one in those days wore a vest. Everybody does now, but no one did then. We just had uh, two vests for the north half of the state, and they had no armor in them. They might stop a small handgun. That's all. And I said, I don't know where that came from. I'm losing my mind. So I put my hand back on a gear shift to try to leave again and again. The spirit came in and wrapped all around me through every molecule of my body. And it wasn't optional this time. Go back for the, for the vest. And I said, okay, okay, okay. And so I went back and got the vest. And uh, I met with the agents. And uh, uh, they didn't much want to wear the vest because they're a little bulky, even though it was cold and they had coats on. They're kind of hard to conceal. And I said, no, don't ask me why. Just do this for me. You know, They weren't ready to hear it, and I'm not sure I was. And uh, so I said, keep the deal in town. So we can stay close to you and have buildings to hide behind and, and don't let it get out in the country where we have to lay back. And, but the deal did go out in the country and they went out on this um, high levee road. And uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, Grace, it was quite unlike anything I'd ever seen. These, the storm blew in and there were these churning dark clouds of, like faces forming. In the clouds, and it was so ominous. You know, it was really uh, getting to me because or because of what had happened. And so they were up on the levee, uh, and we were back a ways on both sides of, of, of their the site where they were doing a deal. And uh, and the body transmitter we had on their on their uh, on on the agents was cutting in and out, and I was about to go crazy. And uh, and I heard them say. Uh, yeah, that looks good, that looks good. And then I heard it cut out, and then I heard uh, Bureau of Narcotics under arrest. It cut out again, and then when it cut back on, I heard ta 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 ta. They had a sniper up on the railroad trestle uh, behind a clump of pine trees, and he opened fire on the agents. And uh, one agent was hit three times, uh, and uh, the female agent who was with him drew her weapon and shot the violator in front of her as he was going in to draw his weapon. And, uh, and then the radio traffic just went crazy. Everybody said, Merle, they're taking fire. And the chief of intelligence and I came across the levee. And it was just a scene of horror. Gun smoke hanging in the frigid air. That night it froze everything for like 200 miles it was in Mississippi. And, um, and uh, so we, uh, the sniper fled, we secured the scene. I went to the hospital to see about the, uh, the agent and to check on the violator because he was wounded, he'd have to come there too. So I came in, comforted the young female agent. Uh, she had just seen her partner shot and just shot her first person. And uh, so, and then I went in and I saw the violator and placed him under arrest. And when I walked into the ER, there was my friend and laying on the table and they were cutting his clothes off of him and that white bulletproof vest was crimson-soaked in blood. And the doctor was standing there, and he said, Merle, look at this. He said one round hit him in his lower extremities, one slice through his arm. This one hit him right in the chest. He said it penetrated the vest because it wasn't designed to stop a higher-powered rifle. He said, but Merle, it deflected it. It penetrated the vest, but it went in behind his right breast, skidded around the barrel of his rib cage, and popped out behind his left breast. He said if he hadn't had that uh, vest on, Merle, it had taken out his heart and lungs. He'd been dead before he hit the ground. And Grace, I'm here to tell you, I could hear the shuffle of angels' feet around us in the ER. And I knew for the first time then I was really, truly not alone. That we were not alone. And uh, and that whispering, that murmuring began. You know, it was like, and it grew louder and louder over the years. Uh, like I turned, like to my wife and said, "Did you say something to me?" She said, "No, I didn't say anything." But it was, it was there and it was growing. And, uh, uh, and then, so, uh, it was, uh, clear that, uh, the Lord was with me, but I, I couldn't grasp it. it. It, 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 I was, it scared me in a way. And it was just too big for my puny mind. And I was, uh, and I thought, well, I'll just go on and do works based salvation, you know, and be the best guy I can and right all the wrongs I can. And, uh, Uh, I know God's real busy, and so uh, I'll go out and do all this by myself, and uh, maybe if I'm good enough one day, you know, they'll let me squeak in through the back door before it closes in heaven, and uh, of course, it doesn't work that way, but uh, that's pretty much how I, what I thought back then, and then, um, and then later, uh, I got into some political things, and, um, uh, the world fell on me, and, uh, all of my Fairweather friends uh, deserted me, but he, he was there. He was there, and in the valley, he began to show me things and to how he was going to use uh, this pain for his purpose, and, uh, and he has. And he, it's just been, that's when it all opened up, and uh, great things began to happen.
0: And so what did that look like for you? I know you've spoken about so initially in you know, in those valleys, you then have or you're working towards more of that kind of workspace salvation. What changed for you that it it really went from the head to the heart of of your faith, your relationship with Jesus? What was he speaking to you about? What did that whole journey from that point look like for you moving forward?
1: Well, um, it was uh... We got, like I said, so many things happen, happened in life and so many things are in these books. And uh, on my my journey from being uh, a crusader to uh, to an evangelist and all the miracles I've seen as an evangelist, true miracles, not the kind of things people make up, but really things that are jaw-dropping and everybody knows around, around you knows that we're in the presence of somebody way bigger than we are. And, uh, but, uh, in, uh, I'm fast forwarding a little bit. So much has happened in my life, but, uh, uh when the, um, when the political thing kind of went sour, there was a lot of treachery around, and, um, and, uh, the government came in and indicted me and the person I worked for in an agency at that time, and, uh, and nobody could believe it, that the, that the uh, Boy Scout, it was suddenly, they, uh, they said in trouble. And, uh, but uh, they, they locked me up in a terrible place in Atlanta where I could not testify and, and uh, spoil their, their show trial. And, uh, but it was there in that awful place, in a uh, capital A awful place. Uh, that um, I began to read the Bible, and I began to fashion prayers out of psalms, psalms, and uh, and I began to read Job, and I mean, you know, uh, you know, I, I just devoured it, and uh, and I told somebody uh, one time I said if I could find a, a person who brought me that Bible, I'd probably kiss them, uh, you know, because <laughs> and uh, and so. Uh, then uh, uh, immediately, people began to come to my door. And they were, there were some, some scary people. And they began to come and confess to me, murder and things you wouldn't believe. And I didn't understand it. Why were they coming to me? And then uh, 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 God showed me that he said, I'm going to... Uh, use this. I'm going to take you down into a world you would never have known so you can understand Christ coming down to save the world. And uh, and so just bit by bit, without overwhelming my puny mind, he began to just show me, show me things. And against all odds, uh, I still, I still had to to go to, to a federal prison. But uh, after, after it was all over with, and uh, but uh, it was there in that awful place where um, God opened doors and we started what we think is the most successful inmate-led prison ministry in the history of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And I saw big, tough guys there you know, surrender to the Lord, and it was, our, our meeting was the big event on the compound, and it went on after I left. We just keep handing off to the next guy, next guy, and then, then they began to hold the services in not just English, but also in Spanish, and uh, uh, eventually, they started using my books <laughs> at that Prison, and they invited me to come back, and it was quite emotional, and uh, to go back into that place, and uh, and but the, I cried, and the men who came to listen to me cried, and God was glorified, and uh, you know it just uh, there's so much that's happened, and so many people have written me, you know, who've read the books or heard me speak somewhere, and uh, said so that. That changed their lives, and uh, uh, sometimes the, the the letters or the emails or the calls are so tender that I sit here at my computer and I cry. But as I told one interviewer, I said, "Real men cry for Jesus." And uh, so, so it's just uh, it's just gone on and on, and uh, the books have found their way into um, prisons across the country, into shelters. Uh, and I've gone into a lot of these places, and uh, just to see, and and uh, I've seen pictures of people that people have been made of me. I don't even know how I'm uh, talking with my hands. And it doesn't even look like me, because I may, may, may understand that I'm really kind of a uh, low-key, uh, kind of mild-mannered guy. Uh, but uh, when when I go there and I'm representing him, he takes over. And uh, in some of these pictures, uh, there's this light around me. And, uh, uh, and several people have commented on it. They've never seen that light. Other Christians have said, we've never seen that before, you know, like that. And I don't know it, but they do. They see it. And I've been, some of the pictures they make, I see it in the pictures. And it's just been, uh, you know, so many uh, miracles. And uh, one uh, uh, at one of my last book signings before I, some illness struck me, uh, a Christian said, Merle, there's a guy getting out of Texarkana federal prison. Could uh, He wants to meet you. Can we bring him? I said, sure. And so he came and he said, uh, he said your books are in Texarkana. And he said they're worn out from men reading them. And he said, I took my life in my own hands. And I, he said, I left one of your books on the bed of the head of the Aryan nation. And the Aryan nation are people you don't want to mess with because they'll kill you. It's a gang. And uh, and he said, uh, the head of the Aryan nation came to him, furious, cussing him nose to nose. He said, I thought he was going to kill me. He said, this can't be true. God couldn't love me like he does Michael. That's a character based on me. He couldn't protect me like that. And the guy said, he said, I told him, no, he he loves you, and he can protect you, and it is true. And he said, I thought he was going to kill me. But at the last minute, he turned around and left. And he left the Aryan nation accepted Christ. They beat him and stabbed him because once you're in, you don't leave. But he survived, and they transferred him to another prison. And last we heard, he was leading Bible studies built around my novel. Only God can do that. It's not me. Only he can do these, only he can do these things, and uh, so it's just been, uh, I tried to capture a lot of those moments in the the final book in a series, Resurrection, uh, because people are hungry. I tell them, I said, he's here, we're just not paying attention, you know, he's all around us, but we're rushing, rushing around and doing things that we think are important and ignoring uh, the most important thing in our life. And uh, so it's been, uh, it's been quite a journey like that, and uh, uh, they had invited me to come speak uh, after I left the state prison for juveniles, and a big talk there, I went down to a big uh, wild game dinner, and there were hundreds of people coming into this church life center to raise money for missions and, uh, and good works, and uh, they had invited me to be the keynote speaker. And uh, I was really sick then. I came I kind of limped in there. And uh, they were all praying for me because they should pray for me, and uh, but also because I was their speaker. And uh, so we got there that night, and they had uh, I saw people I had, and I was reunited with people. God was bringing people back into my life all the time from decades and decades ago. And he was just working so many things. And they had this, uh, they had constructed this high... Uh, platform for me to speak from. It almost looked like a gallows in an old western movie, and I thought, well, they're going to hang me tonight, and so and I didn't know if I could get up there. I was so wobbly and so weak, and I was pale, really pale. Probably my most famous book's called A Ghostly Shade of Pale, and everybody told me I was a ghostly shade of pale, and uh, so I ca- uh, finally came time for me to go up to that makeshift high platform, and I, I, I got up there, they introduced me. And it was so high up. I was looking down at all these people, and uh, I was hanging on for dear life uh, to that uh, pulpit. And uh, I said, "If you go back there now, you could probably find my sweaty fingerprints in the uh, in the pulpit." And uh, and I looked, and uh, they were visiting uh, and uh, social, social socializing, and then. I started to talk and looked again and they had stopped and were leaning forward in their chairs locked in on me. And then I said a little prayer and I said, Lord, I'm about to fall down. I can't do this. You're going to have to take over. It's the last thing I remember, Grace. The last thing I remember until I said, thank you and God bless you. And as I turned, trying to not fall down, the the elders of the church were bounding up the side and they looked dazed. And they had their hands outstretched for me, and they grabbed me, and they said, we've never seen anything like that. And I thought, is that good? I don't know. And and then I got the nudge, and I turned, and everybody in the big life center, hundreds and hundreds of people were all on their feet in a standing ovation. And that's the first time they'd ever seen that happen. And people were bringing their kids up, and people were crying. And, uh, you know, but my prayer was answered. I wish we'd have videoed it so I could see what the Lord said through me. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's, you know, I, I've come to expect those things out on the road, uh, and uh, and he, uh, the books, uh, you know, wound up uh, going here and there. And uh, I used to always think, oh I'd love to get the books to Jerusalem, oh, and yeah. uh, I was I spoke, I spoke in Florida at a church, and. Uh, uh, there was an, a missionary there and she was going to the holy land but she was going on a wing and a prayer and she, i could tell she didn't have a lot of funding so we just uh, gave her all the cash we had on her that day after she made kind of a little appeal and she was she said oh i'm so overwhelmed and i said no well, you said god would provide and he just did and uh, so I, I didn't think anything else about it i told her i said you know if you uh, if you have room in your luggage I said, if you could take some of my books with you, I'd be ever so thrilled. You know, if you don't, that's okay. And I said, but if you have room. And so I didn't think anything else about it. And then I came home to Tupelo, and emails began to come in from the Jaffa Gate in Jerusalem. And uh, she was sitting there with a vicar of Baghdad, uh, so-called Canon Andrew White, so-called because he saved Christians in, ISIS, in Iraq from ISIS. And I just put out a contract to kill him and on and on and on. And he's holding up my book, The Redeemed, A Leap of Faith, and I'm just overwhelmed. And he sent me one of his autograph books. And uh, and then the books went into the library attached to Christ Church, which is the oldest Protestant church in the history of the Middle East. I mean, you know, again, only God can do these things. And uh, so I've just pretty much... Uh, uh, the experts, so-called, have told me you, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, it won't work out. And, and then when it did work out, they would say, how did that happen? We're the experts, and we told you that couldn't happen. And I said, well, there's only one expert I listened to. Yeah. He says, go, I go. He <laughs> says, do, I do. That's the plan. I'm sticking to it. And so it's, that's kind of the way it's been. It's just, uh, uh, and uh, then, surprise to me, when I began to write, about my life, I thought my friends and family would buy a few books, and that'd be it. And but uh, then people found it, and uh, schools found them, and word began to spread. And uh, and they in this part of the world, in the South here, they became uh, uh, pretty popular books. And uh, uh, and that was without a big publisher. It's pretty much uh, I left my first publisher because our visions just. Uh, uh, didn't compliment each other, and uh, but uh, I went um, went my own way, and went with my my big publisher, <laughs> and uh, and uh, everything's worked out uh, so well, and uh, uh, so many people have called me, and uh, and uh, he he's brought people he, through the books. He helped me understand. The life that I was living, but I was too young and too close to it to understand. It was very cleansing to write the books, and just you know, uh, you know, it just it increased my faith. And uh, he would bring people to me uh, that uh, I had a chance to say either I'm sorry or thank you to them, and they never remember what you're sorry about or what you're thankful yeah. for. But I said. I said it's not not important. I said, well, it's important to me. And then uh, uh, one morning I got up and my computer was on, and uh, the, I never leave my computer on. And the Facebook was open and the private message box was open, and uh, I, I said, wow, this is very strange. And so I, uh, I looked, and this lady, I thought maybe somebody read a book and. And she said, I don't know if you remember me or not, but she arrested my husband about 40 years ago. (laughs) And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And so uh, I I said, yeah, yeah, I I do. I do remember. Uh, How's he doing? She said, well, he's gone now, uh, but he was finally sober the last two years of his life. I said, I'm so sorry. And she said, well, those were hard times and his drug trafficking. And uh," she said, I was in nursing school, and uh, they were about to kick me out of the college because they thought I was involved and I would bring bad press on the college and she said you're so kind and I'm beginning to remember it now and she said you're so kind you called them and told them I was not involved to leave me alone Uh, and uh, she said I just want to tell you that she said I went on to be a good caring nurse to people for forty years and I just want to tell you this morning that I owe you my life I just sat there and cried like a baby and thank praise God over and over for bringing me through all I've been through in my life to see moments where I got it right. And, uh, and, uh, he's been so good to me. And, uh, so, so many of those stories happened and, uh, uh, and we'd get letters, uh, uh, from people who heard me. And I hope that, hope uh, that somebody will, uh, hear me and contact me at merletemple.com and my email address is on there because i get uh, emails and stuff from all over and uh, one night on the caravan to midnight which is a big uh, subscription service um, after our first time i was on there um, uh... It, it went really well so much so, the next morning, all my Amazon sold out all, all my books, wow. and I heard from people in mm-hmm. I heard from people in New Zealand, first time ever, on, on that uh, on, after that uh, talk, and uh, uh, but when I hung up that night, uh, an email came in from Arizona, and a man said, uh, he said I'm one of the last independent seed producers Monsanto hadn't crushed. And he said, but, but things were looking up. I've got a deal going in Europe. I about the love of my life in Greece. We're to be married. He said, but then my health took a downturn. He said, They've run all the tests. And he said, in the morning, I get the results. He said, but tonight, he said, I'm alone and afraid in a hotel room in Arizona. But I know that God wanted me to hear you tonight. And so just so many of those things have happened. And, um, and uh, you know, the faith I have has been tried and tested out on the battlefield and uh it's uh i go to where uh where god sends me kind of where the rubber meets the road for evangelist and uh where some some people maybe who are professing christians and there's a difference between being a professing and a confessing christian a big difference but they may not go or they're satisfied just to go to church on Sunday, and that's it. But that's not the kind of faith I have, you know. i and if, if if you hear that I'm that I'm not witnessing anymore, you'll know I've gone home. <laughs> you know that's what I live. That's what I live to do, because he uh, he changed everything. And and sometimes it dawns on me that uh, what if uh, what if all this hadn't happened? What if he hadn't decided to use me? you know, where would I be? You know, I'd be out still probably doing workspace salvation and everything, and um, I'll tell you, when I was writing The Redeemed, um, uh, it was about being in prison, and it was hard to write. I mean, I had tears on my keyboard, that's the song I made up. <laughs> tears on, instead of tears on my pillows, tears on my keyboard. And, I, and my wife would see me crying, when I was writing, she said, you're killing yourself. And I said, I know, but I promise God, and I can't break that promise. And uh, so, and she read it, and she cried. And she said, oh, the enemy is going to attack you, Merle. He's not going to want this out. And, uh, and so the book released, and on a Sunday morning, after it released, at 3 a.m., I sat straight up in my bed shouting, no, 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 just screaming, and scared my wife to death. And she said, Merle, what is it? What is it? And uh, I said, well, the enemy was attacking me, but it wasn't like a dream at all. It was real. It was textured and nuanced, and uh, I was in an apocalyptic world. Everything was dead and dying. The, uh, everything was gray ash covering everything. The sun couldn't shine through the gray uh, dust in the air. The trees were dying, and I was walking down this ash-covered road and with the walking dead were walking along beside me. And up ahead in the distance was like an old ghost town, And it was the gateway to hell and um, when we got there they ushered me into this room and i i sat there waiting and the door opened and there was this tall immaculately dressed man standing in the doorway and it occurred to me then what shakespeare said when he said the devil is a gentleman and i said satan i presume and he changed into the image of the the beast that we have and his claws came out and he attacked me and raked across my chest, tore my shirt off of me, but when he did there was just dozens or hundreds of small flaming crosses covering me and a light burst forth at once from all of them like a sun going supernova and it burned away the devil and all of hell showing me that I was covered by the cross And that's when I sit up in the bed uh, screaming, shouting. And as you can imagine, we stayed up and talked about this until time to go to church. It was on a Sunday morning. And uh, when we got to church, uh, my wife was walking through the main part of the big church. And uh, there was a lady there who uh, the Holy Spirit just perched on her shoulder all the time. If she said something, I stopped and listened. I just want to hang out with people like her. And... uh, but my wife saw her, and uh, this lady uh, was weeping. And uh, she came up to her, and she said, Anita, honey, what, uh, what is it? What, what is it, honey? And she said, I don't know what was happening with you and Merle at 3 o'clock wow. this morning, but God woke me up and said, get up and pray for wow. Merle and Judy. Wow. Those things happen all the time, Grace. I don't even, I'm just used to it now. They happen all the time. And some people don't believe that. You know, it unsettles them. But uh, I'm here to tell you that it's real. And uh, if you surrender to him and give it all to him, and he'll draw near to you and he'll take the scales from your eyes and you'll be able to see things that you can't otherwise.
0: For you, and obviously incredible story, incredible man of God that you are, but even just seeing how God has moved in your life, the, the different ministries and places that he's taken you into and and his just protective hand over your life as well. What do you think has been the key for your I suppose surrendered life to God? What do you what do you think it is about the way, not that it's necessarily what we do, but how how have you surrendered your life to him and, and truly given that to him so that he can move through you?
1: Well, I think uh, had I, uh, if, if I had coasted along being uh, the the guy who was successful and uh, who people thought would always do the right thing, if I'd coasted along, uh, and I was getting so many awards during that period of my life that they were they didn't mean anything anymore. I was already on to the next thing because it was like an addict getting a fix you needed another thing another thing another thing and I was looking like the old country songs that I was looking for love in all the wrong places and uh, and uh, uh, and then I think uh, I think if if I had gone on in that life there uh, was a great possibility I would have died lost everybody was still said well he's a great guy but I, but I would have died uh, not knowing Christ like I do and I think I had to be in uh, some really hard times and not be self-sufficient anymore. I had to learn what it meant for me to decrease and Him to increase and I think that was the key to it and uh, and then just so many things began to uh, begin to happen and uh, things that people said were impossible and uh, then I just began to build on that, and our relationship became so close, you know, I'll just, uh, I'll automatically thank Him, and not even knowing I'm doing it during the daytime, something will happen, and I'll just say, thank you, Lord, thank you. And uh, uh, it just got closer and closer, and uh, so uh, I told my wife, I said, you know, if I precede you, I said, uh, in my obituary, don't... Uh, don't put all my awards and all the famous people on you, and all those kind of things. Just say, he was just all used up for Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. Amen. And that should all be our heart's desire, right? There's, there's nothing in the world that will satisfy us like that laid down life for for Christ, and just letting Him move through you to achieve His will for your life, which is so beautiful, and it must be, it must be emotional for you to look back on just to see what he's what he's done in your life and, he, and he's still going to write still your your books your testimony what there's no there's no end to what he can continue to um to do in your life but two I suppose two last questions from me if you were able to give any advice to maybe those Christians who were li- or who were living in that workspace faith or, or just coasting, like you mentioned, what, what advice would you have for them? And then also for anyone who doesn't actually know Jesus, what, what advice or, or what is the gospel for them as well?
1: Oh, well, I, now and then I, when I've been speaking somewhere in the church, I would look out and I would see people I knew that were they were church members but I knew that they were likely lost, and uh, I would sometimes tell them, you know, just because you sit up on the front pew and sing I'll Fly Away doesn't necessarily mean you're going to, if you're living one day, one way on Sunday and living for the world the rest of the week, and uh, and uh, so it's, uh, uh, it's a hard thing to get to people because they're scared sometimes, and. Uh, They're afraid of the world, and uh, they're afraid, uh, uh, somebody will call them, if they adhere to scripture, and if they serve him uh, first, last, and always, and no matter what, you know, uh, uh, and it's costly grace. Too many people are wanting cheap grace, but it's costly grace that we should seek and that's what I tell them you know I said uh, you know what are you doing for the Lord that has cost you anything you know and uh, and I said you know when you start denying well okay we're going to go along with the world that 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 scripture oh it's okay it's it's not it's not for our time and if, when you start doing that I said the whole the whole word comes unravels. I said you can't do that and serve him, uh, and uh, you may wear the jersey, but but you you know when you meet him, it may not go too well. And so uh, I try to as kind as I can. I try to tell them that, and uh, some people, I uh, you know, said, they are receptive to it, and some break down and cry. They've been waiting for somebody. I've had that happen many times. Uh, of People I just knew when I met them. I'll tell you that I. Uh, um, one thing that happened to me was I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And uh, I had to, uh, uh, they told me, well, you've got to go and take radiation. And I didn't, I didn't really want to do that. And, and I was whining about it to my wife. And, uh, but I went, and when I walked in to the big center down there, I saw a guy sitting over there waiting for his treatment. And the Holy Spirit just punched me right between the eyes. And I knew I had come to meet him. And I began to talk to him, and after just a little bit, I could tell he was lost. And uh, and I said, um, do you read books? And he said, no, I don't read books. I hadn't read a book in 35 years. ain't got time for that. got to keep moving on. And he was a year older than I am. And the hour was late. And I said, oh, okay. And so the next day I came and I brought Deputy, which is the first book in the series based on the short time I was a deputy sheriff. And I said, you know, I was a deputy patrolling here in those rough and tumble days, and uh, you were running around these wild clubs too. We didn't know each other then. We were ships passing in the night. But uh, I said, you know, take this. This is on me. And see if you can just even get into this book at all. And you might recognize some of your old haunts. And uh, he said, all right, I will. And so the next day I came in and I said, well, were you able to to get into it at all last night and he said get into it I stayed up all night I read the whole thing what's next and so he went through he went through all the books grace and I introduced him to Christ and in my new book that's come out resurrection he put a quote in there he said meeting Merle was like meeting an old friend I never knew I had and through his books I found Christ and everybody told him his family and his friends they said, something is different about you. You're not the same person anymore. And he said, it wasn't it I was a bad person? But they all said, there's something different about you. And so I can't tell you how many moments like that I've had. And what, the only thing that ever grieves me, really, is if I miss it. If I miss it, if the window opens, and I don't step through it and see that moment, uh, I'll grieve for it. I try to never miss one and go in and... Uh, uh, and uh, I run into people in elevators and, you know, just places, everything, er- at gas pumps, you know. I'll get the nudge from the Holy Spirit, you know, talk to them, give them a book out of your trunk or your car. And, uh, and they'll write later that they were in distress and they were drowning. And this man in the elevator, this man at the gas pumps, suddenly says, hey, you like good books? And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, so I try to be, and people ask me, well, what, what, what are we to do? I said, you're to be faithful, and you're to be obedient, and, uh, and you're to be humble, and remember who it is that you serve, and I debated a Satanist, and I, I won't tell you, Grace, he called me names, I thought I'd been called all the ugly names you would be called, but he, he used some I'd never heard, and he said, oh man, he said, you'll die soon. And he said, me and my offspring are going to tear down everything you Christians built in this world. Now, when I was young and a debate team, Captain Grace, and one not saved, I would have cut him off at the knees and left him bleeding. But God is like, now this is not about you. This is about me, and you may be the only Christian these people, these listeners, the audience ever meets, the only Bible they ever read. So I kind of laughed. And I laughed a little bit after he attacked me, and I said, "Wow, you sure have a winsome way of winning people to your point of view." And I said, uh, "I feel no love from you. I hear a lot of um, a lot of anger, but I suspect it's masking a lot of pain, because deep down in your heart, you miss him, and you know he's the only one who can fill up that big god hole in your heart." And I feel no love from you, but I, but I love you, because Christ loved me once when I thought I was unlovable. He went dead silent. They want you to respond in kind, and they don't know what to say. And, and you could feel the room the room buying in grace like, wow, what kind of love was that in the face of such hate? And who makes that possible? Then as an evangelist, I've done my job, and the Holy Spirit moves in. And uh, it's just uh, things like that, that that make every day worth getting up. And uh, when, even when I don't feel like it, getting up and going out and meeting somebody and say, hey, I need a good book or, uh, or whatever the Holy Spirit directs me to reach that particular person in that moment. And I met, uh, I saw a lady at the uh, hospital when I was getting treatment and uh, she was the most alone looking person I'd ever seen. And uh, her hair was all gone from chemo, and she was all hunched over, almost in a fetal position. And when we went into the big room, I looked for her again, and I saw her. And I went over, walked over to her, and she was all hunched over, just in, in sorrow. And I said, excuse me, I said, could I sit with you? I said, I've got a word for you. And she looked at me skeptically, and she said, yeah, what's the word? I said, Jesus loves you, and I do too. Or she could have seen that smile on that face, Grace. And, uh, you know, I tell people, that didn't cost you a thing. And, pre- and and you'll feel a lot better once you start looking at someone else's pain and helping them and forgetting about yourself and everything. So I try to, I do not say I 100% always respond, but if I don't, I immediately ask the Lord to forgive me for not maybe not being adequate in the moment. But that's... Uh, I hope that semi answers your question and everybody's different that you approach and, uh, uh, some that you, uh, you have to rattle their cage a little bit. Some you just have to just overwhelm them with love. And, uh, and, all, and in my case, all from the book and, uh, and then, uh, they wind up going out and telling everybody else about them. And so they're spreading the gospel and, uh, Yeah, just just scattering the seeds and hope they fall on fellow ground.
0: I think what's really beautiful is that we don't have to do it by ourselves either. As as long as we're being led by the Holy Spirit, like you said, sometimes it may be talking to them about how loved they are by you and by God, or other times it might be rattling them and and asking those tough questions. But for anyone who, I mean, we should all have that evangelist heart to to reach the loss. That's what we're called to do but just that encouragement for people to, to be bold, to listen to the Holy Spirit and to say yes to what ultimately he's calling you, you know, that nudge because it, it's just a testimony of, of your life, how, how much he's been able to use you. And I'm sure you know much of the impact that you've had, but no doubt there is so much more than what you know all of the people you've impacted, the ones that they have then gone on to, to speak to and impact to, which is beautiful. But yeah, well, I would love to know if oh, – <laughs> no, that, that's all good. Hopefully we yeah, yeah, don't have any more issues. But, um, but for, anyone, for anyone who is interested in hearing more about you, your story, your books, can you tell me about where people can find more of Merle Temple?
1: Well, anybody who's on Facebook can uh, friend me if they'd like and uh, they can go to merletemple.com uh and or they can email me um, they can buy the books um, um, on Amazon um, and uh, they can go on uh, YouTube everything lives on YouTube <laughs> good and bad and uh, they can see some of the uh, testimonies I've given and uh, um, um, and uh, uh, you know just some of the schools I've gone into and uh, uh, just moments like uh, so I'm glad I'm glad over they were filming. I was in Destin, Florida, uh, middle school, and uh, off camera because they they hadn't gotten permission from the parents to be filmed. So you could just see me standing there talking, and I, I was talking to these kids, and uh, this tiny little voice, this little girl says something, and I and I, I lean over to her and I say, "Hmm, I, I didn't quite hear you, honey." And she said, I've always wanted to meet you. And I said, really? Well, I've always wanted to meet you. And she said, thank you, thank you. And just, you know, you know, I'd leave places like that, and i told tell the principals on the way out, you know, I should pay y'all to come in here. I don't charge anything, but I said I should actually be paying y'all for these memories and these stories that I use to pass on to other people who need to look away sometimes. We can't yield to the darkness or ignore it, uh, but uh, we, can, we can look at these moments and say, you know, he's still in control, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and just hold tightly to his hand. And that's, that's what I try to do. The only time I get in, uh, get off the, the, the path is when I have a human moment flare up and I'll say well I think I'll do this but I'll get that nudge and say well no I don't guess I will yeah. and uh, uh, yeah. but it's only because you want to uh, maximize your time here you know and uh, the Titanic is, is sinking in, in many ways and we all know he's coming back some days I think it could be hit any, any hour but but our job is uh, not to uh, quietly go along with the world and rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. We're to get as many to the lifeboats as we can, and uh, and take as many out of the world with us as we can. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure everybody quite understands that.
0: Well, thank you. It has been such an encouragement hearing your your testimony, but also just your heart for the loss. I think it it challenges us all to really step up and to be bold, like you said, not to rearrange the deck chairs, but to get out, get people into the lifeboats and and pull them out of the world as well. So I would absolutely love, um, normally when it's just me, I'll wrap it up in prayer. But if you're happy to pray for anyone listening, I would absolutely love that to, to finish this off as well. Are you happy to pray pray for anyone listening?
1: Yeah. yeah. Lord, uh, thank you for this day. Thank you for this night. I thank you for Grace and her ministry. And what a privilege it is to, for you to allow us to talk around around the world, from one side of the world to the other, and to profess our love for Jesus Christ. And uh, I ask your uh, hand to stay on her and all that she's doing and uh, for bringing her into my life. Uh, I don't believe that anything is coincidental. I believe this might be a divine coincidence that we, uh, that we met. And what a blessing it's been to me. I hope it has been to other people, too. And I hope you'll use this time we've had together uh, to uh, to reach somebody who's waiting for something maybe that we said that uh, kind of opens the door for them to reconsider the life they've been living and to know that there's a better path. And uh, we just thank you and we praise you, Lord. All praise to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been such an encouragement to me personally, and I I know it will be to to others as well. So, all of the places to get your books and your website, I'll leave that in the description for anyone who is interested in in buying that, hearing more about you as well. And yeah, thank you so much for your time. It's been such an encouragement, and and looking forward to no doubt catching up with you again. In the, the future and, and hearing more about what you do so thank you everyone for, for love
1: it.
0: another episode of the hallelujah podcast my hope and prayer is that i'll always be able to point you to jesus and that you'll leave feeling encouraged equipped inspired and, and ready to go out and be salt and light in this world so god bless you all and see you in the next episode